None of us are quite sure what we saw last night as the two presidential candidates squared off for the first time, but we do know it's unprecedented. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my weary colleagues, Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnston, who put in a very long day and night making sure we had all the news covered. Way to go. It was tremendous coverage, guys. I'm really proud of it. Great. I had my Diet Coke this morning, so I'm ready to go. I'm on on coffee number four, so I know what you're feeling. I'm drinking my coffee, but I picked a hell of a week to stop sniffing glue. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're planning to spend most of this podcast, if not all, talking about the events of Tuesday, and we will begin. What were the highlights or the lowlights, I guess, of the spectacle that we saw last night in the debate? Jane Kuhn, what I'm trying to get at with this question is that this was unlike anything we've ever seen between two presidential candidates. It was nothing that you would describe as presidential. Um, I mean, I've really I've never seen anything like it. Let's let's talk about what we saw and what that might mean for America. Yeah, you'd have a hard time finding any highlights here. It was such a mess. I mean, I've seen some great descriptors of it. It's been called a hot mess, a dumpster fire, chaos, and um, a something show, something being a four-letter word, (laughs) which they even said on CNN last night. But I, I saw someone else sum it up by saying, you know, in terms of winners and losers, we all lost. And I thought that was really, that really summed it up. For the whole forum, pretty much, they talked over each other with with Trump being the greater offender in terms of interruptions, so much so that, that the moderator, Chris Wallace, had to, you know, say, stop, 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 and scold him for being, you know, for just constantly interrupting. I, I think Chris Wallace is probably getting a lot of blame today, but you know, absent I, I, a, I, having like a klaxon or the ability to cut off their mics, I'm not sure he had the power to stop this I, bulldozing. I, I think Chris Wallace did as good a job as could be done with an out-of-control train like that. I'm surprised he's being criticized. I don't know that many people could have done better. I mean, he was yelling, yelling, raising right. his voice right. at the president of the United States because the president was behaving so badly. I mean, when you say that Trump was was more the aggressor than Biden, that's not even a close measurement. I mean, he was clearly far and away the, the one that was violating the rules, which Wallace kept saying, sir, you agreed to this. Your camp agreed to this. Two minutes of silence while the other candidate talks. And I don't think Trump had two minutes of silence the entire no, hour no, and a half. He, no, not at all. And uh, he was able to get Biden to take some of his bait, too, uh, and really get him off his message. I mean, Biden ended up calling Trump a clown and at one um, point told him to shut up, you know, which is. Yeah, it's not. That's just not appropriate. This is Laura Johnston. When I heard him say shut up, I couldn't believe it. I was just thinking, I don't let my kids talk like that. And I was so glad that the coronavirus meant they had to stand on opposite stage from me, uh, opposite sides of the stage from each other. Because I feel like if they were closer, they would have been like poking each other and like smacking just because they couldn't help themselves. But what Jane said about Biden is worthy of discussion that 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 he took the bait. I mean, Trump. Trump, I mean, you shouldn't call the president of the United States a clown in a debate. That's not appropriate. But he was a clown. I mean, it was accurate, just not appropriate. But the smart thing to do 
was when Trump was going off like that, just sit there quietly uh, without reacting. Let America see that this guy is violating every rule and going off the deep end. Instead, he did take the bait. He did say inappropriate things. And he he stepped on Trump in return a few times to the point where Chris Wallace had to shut him down. And, and it's like, come on, do we not have an adult in the room? It was. And, <laughs> yeah, and what I, does no, it I think, say? I think- Go ahead, Chris Warnowski. I think the problem is, is that, you know, the the president's entire administration and presidency has been an attack on our sense of norms and the idea that this country was so bad that only he alone can fix it. And this is, I think, maybe just the last institution that we have that he could tear down. You know, I mean, his entire administration and presidency has just been about devastating American institutions for better or worse. And, and the problem is, is, is you can't run on the same idea that everything is so bad that I can fix it after you've been in control for four years. And this country is just told a bunch of lies. I mean, he made so many statements. I mean, this country is objectively worse off than it was four years ago. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is out of control. The economy is slipping you know, racism well, is actually as bad. the economy is actually doing OK. I, I think that that's a bit of a misnomer. There are people that are left behind. Well, but-, but we still have a lot of unknowns about the economy. I think it's limping toward the election and that that, you know, there's a lot of people that are sort of keeping it. There's a mirage okay. of the economy being great. And then. You know, when, once we get past this this election, we're going to get a real look know. at what this yeah, economy looks like. Predicting that doom for the entirety of his term, and the economy never fell. Here's a question: a lot of teachers uh, use these kind of debates uh, to to teach kids about the American political process in high school, older kids in grade school. What does this say to the children of America about what appropriate behavior is? And Laura, you talk about your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, if your kids were in a class where they watched this, would they walk away thinking this is appropriate in a debate? You should just break every rule and be rude. Well, I, I mean, I think that we're seeing that a lot just with with everyone these days. And we've talked about this on the podcast, this hostility and partisanship between people and how rude they are to each other. And, and then we have who could be the two leaders of our country. And they are no better than kindergartners in this. And But kindergartners are kinder. OK. And. I, I don't know what you tell your kids about I mean, that's a really good question, how to discuss this with kids about you are you could be better than this. You should be better than this. And that's something that teachers and parents are probably wrestling with today. We are better than this. That's what's so depressing about what we saw last night. Yeah. The two Can I people... say something about Biden? Go ahead. Uh, you know, maybe the exception to what to what we're talking about here. The one smart thing I thought he did was you know, when Trump was going off and and wouldn't be quiet, he would just look directly into the camera and try to appeal to the American people, like basically saying this, listen to, you know, this guy is full of nonsense. He doesn't care about you. I care about you. And um, I, I thought that was fairly effective and and fairly mature. But do you, you think guys. he looked presidential? Do you think Joe Biden looked presidential last night? Well, not in those moments where he called him a clown or told him to shut up. But he I, I mean, I don't think he did anything egregiously harmful to his, um, you know, to but his quest I, for the I, mean, sadly, I don't think Barack either of them did or John McCain. Do you can you imagine Barack Obama or McCain 
doing what Biden did last night in response to the bait that, that Trump threw at them? The, the answer is absolutely not. They would not have they would not have done what Biden did. But Biden is Biden. I mean, that's Biden. Biden right. It, obviously, I mean, that's, debating is not his strong suit. He's, he's the old come on man kind of guy. And and, you know, if if you followed him at, any, you know, I mean, if, hey, if I you covered followed, him, I covered him in Delaware in the early 1980s. <laughs> Biden, he's I've the been same following guy. him a long time. He's the same, but he's the same guy. Nothing. Nothing that Joe Biden did last night was really that stunning. I mean, he told the president of the United States to shut up. And he so, called him a clown. I mean, it was a That's wrestling. It, stunning. <laughs> I mean, it's a wrestling match, and and it, I mean, and you if you have to view it through that prism. Like Donald Trump is a carnival barker. He's Vince McMahon. He's but, he's not but, out there to protect the sanctity of our institutions. He's there to destroy them. But you can't excuse a candidate for president calling the president on national television a clown. I, it's not I, appropriate. I, I, I honestly, I really disagree with you here because I think what the Democrats have done these past three years is assumed that you can defeat people who don't care about the rules by adhering to those rules. And you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to defeat Donald Trump without getting mud on you. You just aren't. And, and the wow, sooner we just disagree, I, 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 there's I think, no, there's no universe where I think it's appropriate for a presidential candidate to call the president of the United States in a public forum, a clown. The message that sends to the countries across the globe is awful. There's a way to go high and win this. And we, and he didn't. So, yeah. all right, we gotta, we gotta move on. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What were the differences that we saw last night in the two presidential candidates approach to the coronavirus? This this was one of the key elements of this uh, this debate. Uh, Joe Biden kept bringing up the 200,000 people who were dead. Donald Trump kept saying if Biden were president, it would have been two million. And where he came up with that, I have no idea. That's kind of preposterous. But what did we learn last night about the two candidates and how they will be dealing with the coronavirus. Uh, anybody? Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite. So I don't substantive uh, ideas that came out of. This I don't thing. want to interrupt like like Trump did, so I'm I'm trying to <laughs> hang back and let my colleagues talk. But uh, but I can jump in if you want. I I think. Biden missed some opportunities here, even though he was he was somewhat effective for for bringing up the the deaths. Uh, but he, I think he should have pointed out how Trump, you know, had has espoused these crazy theories about you know disinfectant and and hydrochloroquine and and all that kind of stuff. And the what you know what he said about like we're going to be open by Easter, and you know I don't think there was enough of him framing it as is you know how uh, the lack of seriousness with which Trump treated this and then Trump was able to uh kind of knock down well you can't rely on the death figures from Russia and India and China and um you know he he might have had a point there but i i i mean i think Biden did okay on this but I think he he missed some opportunities. Yeah, he could have said, "Okay, forget Russia, forget China, forget India. Let's look at Europe. Europe's numbers are pretty solid. We're, we've we've blown past them." I didn't think Biden was quick on his feet. I completely mm-hmm. agree that the coronavirus, Donald Trump is a complete abject failure on dealing with that. And and Biden did point out, you said it would just go away magically by April. You said just inject bleach, but he didn't really. I mean, he allowed Trump 
to score points when Trump had no points to score. Trump lied to the American people for for a long time, refused to wear a mask as an example to the American people, um, has has cast doubts now on all the vaccines by by pushing people to get them done quickly outside of the safety requirements. I mean, it's this is the worst performance in a crisis by any president, probably in the last hundred years or more. And Biden did not use it to great effect. I completely agree. What do you think, Chris and Laura? Chris. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, Laura. Okay. <laughs> we're so I just, we're, we're all tired this morning, so we're a little bit disorganized. So I think that the, the mask thing was like this weird aside where like Trump was making fun of Biden for wearing a mask too often, but then he was saying, no, I wear a mask when I'm supposed to. And they were both like pointing fingers about like social distance and and how they talk to people. It was It was bizarre. I mean, rather than like stating facts and arguing you know, like talking about substance, it was like, well, you stand too far from people and you don't wear masks. Like it was just a breakdown. Yeah. I mean, it was like watching Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon go at it. <laughs> and, 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 and I think, I think his strong, Joe Biden's strongest point on this was, you know, reiterating the thing from the Bob Woodward tapes, which is, you know, you are on record of having known this and doing nothing about it. And if you notice that because there were two there were two prominent moments during the debate where he brought that up and Trump had no defense for it. And so, you know, if if somebody in Biden's campaign was paying attention to that, they should take note of the fact that that is a one of the most glaring vulnerabilities, I think, of Donald Trump is, you know, if you want to win the next debate, whatever it looks like, you know, they should continue to hammer that idea home. You know, the bleach stuff resonates with people. People people were wanting, I think, to see Donald Trump confronted with all of the lie. I mean, you know, the fact that Biden didn't bring up the fact that Trump had called it a hoax and that, you know, I mean, there was so much more he could have gone in on right. and he didn't. And so, but he did hit that, you know, you knew in January and you downplayed it in public. And, and I think, I think that well, downplay. For, for he lied. Sane, yeah, it wasn't a and, downplay. And, and, he lied, right? And I think for sane thinking people, that some, you know, having somebody call that out in a prominent way, I think, is meaningful. So, you know, I think that that was probably one of the strongest moments of of well, his debate. And don't let it gets lost in all of the the mess of the debate. But Biden had a really strong moment when he said he looked at the camera and he said, "How many of you are missing somebody at your table?" who's been lost to this virus. And that's when Trump started screaming, you know, it would be 2 million if it were you, it would be 2 million if it were you. And Biden never called that out as ridiculous. He never, I mean, for Trump to say, I have 200,000, but it would be 2 million under you. That's a preposterous lie. And, and somebody should have called that out well, as president. Where are you coming up with that? Because our numbers are worse than almost every nation on earth. So why are you saying it would be 10 times worse if you had something that was somebody that was actually focused on it in a way you were not? I think I know where his line of thinking is on this. So bear with me while I put on my Donald Trump hat. It's red. It says make America great again. Um, it, but I think what he was trying to get at is that the Democrats were rejecting the idea of shutting down the country to people coming in because they've made hay over the Muslim ban and the idea that you can't shut down America to people immigrating here. And so I, I think what he was trying to say is that if you had been in charge, you would not have shut down the country. All these people would have traveled here from China 
and it would have been much worse. I mean, but again, he did not articulate any come anywhere near articulating that. And I guarantee you, too, there's no science behind the two million number. He's just making that up. Well, I mean, just- I mean, it's either he's making it up or somebody in his you know, campaign did. I, I, I don't know how much creative thought is left in there, but he he certainly got that number from somewhere. So I don't know. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What did we learn from Tuesday night's debate about the candidates' positions on white supremacy? I think this was one of the most frightening moments of the debate. The president was called on to denounce white supremacy, and he didn't do it. Chris Ranaski, what did you see there? Um, Something scary. Like, that's, you know, I, I think what what I what I take away from this is that for 50 some years, like in post Jim Crow America, anti-integration politicians found a different way to, you know, dog whistle racism without really being racist, which makes it very, or without saying racist things outwardly by hinting at things like it's where we get the term welfare queen and urban issues and stuff like that. That's where all of that comes from. And so, you know, for, for decades, we've talked about racism in this sort of vague way that you, you know, where you really couldn't say the things that you wanted to say before, you know, civil rights and, and the things that, that, you know, people of color, you know, fought and, and won in this country in the sixties. And, and, and last night they kind of just shoved all of the politeness around that aside. Like I, I met a, you know, he, basically just signaled a a white nationalist group the proud boys and said you're my people that's my i mean that's his base that's who it's left and i don't think that you can make a a good faith argument that he is not a racist like you can't like right, I, but, you know we've danced around this for 4 years all right. and, but, and, but but let's let, let, let let's not let's not do the labels let's just talk about what we saw so so he's called on to to denounce white supremacist groups. And he says, well, who do you mean? Give me a group. I'll be glad to. And Biden was the one that yells out Proud Boys. And he says, well, Jane, he says what? Stand back and he stand said, by. Stand back, stand by. Which they you immediately know. put on T-shirts and on their on their emblems as their new slogan. Uh, almost like he's saying, when I challenge the election, I'm expecting you to hit the streets to cause mayhem to support me. It was one of the most frightening moments I've ever seen in a debate. The president of the United States refusing, refusing to denounce white supremacy. What does that say to every person of color in the country? It was truly the lowest point of the debate, I thought. And it did bring it back for Biden nicely to the the thing that he said prompted him to get into the campaign which was the the situation in Charlottesville and and he he portrayed that pretty well the the people with torches spewing bile about Jews and black people and and uh and, and a woman getting killed there and then Trump saying oh there were good people on both sides and that uh i i thought he did bring that back um effectively to, you know, that was the inspiration for his candidacy. Let me ask this. 
What does Trump have to lose by saying, I do denounce white supremacy? I do Some denounce. Votes. I mean, well, but not there. What those the white supremacists are going to vote for Biden? He's not going to lose any votes. They, I think white supremacists would see the dog whistle and figure, OK, he's he's being coded, but he's still our guy. But he wouldn't even do it. I mean, he wouldn't do what what every president I think ever has done, which is to denounce it. I, I he had nothing to lose but, by saying I am dead set against white supremacy groups and, and they should not be operating in this country. All right. He but, refused. But, but OK, so one that assumes that he does denounce them. So what you're advocating for him is to be dishonest about it for the sake of garnering votes, probably in the suburbs or whatever, you know, I mean, what you're basically advocating is for him to be dishonest about his position on white supremacy. But he's been dishonest about a lot of things. So it's in his makeup (laughs) to be dishonest. So why not be dishonest here? I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, there is something refreshing about the mask being off, like for him to just outwardly be what he's been the entire time. And we've been told that we're ridiculous or out of control for thinking so. You know, this is this is not a surprise to anybody who's paid any slight attention to what he's been doing for the past four years. That is that overt. You think that's not a surprise? You no, weren't surprised by this last night? It's look, I was I was gutted by this last night. And but you know, not one bit of it came as a surprise to me. It of course we're at this point. Of course he's taking us this low. Like it's it's gross. And 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 but it's been it's been the drumbeat of of his entire candidacy since he did that ridiculous ride down that elevator and called Mexicans rapists like okay. it's been it's been this way from the beginning and people have been saying he's race baiting so did biden score points on this issue do you think uh jane or lara that he actually stood up and and took advantage of it Go ahead, Laura. I was just gonna, I think he could have he could have done more. I think he he never really nailed anything during the I mean he could have scored points with people, but it could have been a whole lot stronger. It could have been slam. I, mean, I, I think he did. I mean I think it, it and in a way it was easy to to score points by just saying, Okay, do it. Denounce them. He he said that. He brought up the Proud Boys, he brought up the Charlottesville thing. Um I I do think that that was an effective moment here. And as for Trump, I think maybe one of the reasons is he didn't want to go against this narrative that he keeps pushing about uh, people on the left being responsible for, for all this trouble. And uh, that, you know, to denounce the uh, white supremacists would, you know, would have taken away from his desire to blame Antifa and and anyone else on the left. For Which this. is worth noting that his his own FBI director completely disagrees with that. Right. Which that, Biden he, that he said, said. That, that Antifa is at best a nebulous organization, not even really an organization, but an idea. And that white terrorism is one of the biggest domestic threats in this country is facing, you know, but can I ask a question? I mean, do you think that, and, and anybody can answer this, do you think that what Joe Biden, how he responded will make any, like, will it break through the noise of Donald Trump signaling the Proud Boys? You know, like, does Biden's response matter now that the proud boy thing is going to dominate the news cycle. I actually, I'll take it because we got to move on. Right. I, I actually think that that people saw something in this last night that 
that is will be alarming and and particularly for people of color who already i believe are frightened of what could be ahead if he's reelected i think they were they were chilled by this and it might help get out the vote but we got to go to more topics it's this week in the cle what did we learn from tuesday night's debate about the differences in opinion on the validity of the election with the two men running for president of the united states this was another alarming moment toward the end of the debate where donald trump made no secret of the issue he plans to challenge this election in the courts and drag it out for months he said months what did we learn here let's uh let's start with laura because she hasn't started yet <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to let somebody else take it because I feel like I was setting in things on deadline at this exact moment in the debate. (laughs) I don't have anything super smart to say on it. Jane. You want me to go? I mean, it's funny because I remember being on deadline during this too. And I'm like, what? What? What is he saying? You know, but um, I mean, it's as Rich Exner pointed out, he he did a bunch of little background pieces for us last night when these issues came up, just kind of laying out what the facts are. And one of the fundamental things Trump challenged was the fact that ballots can come in after the election. And that's that's an integral part of the way we run our absentee ballot system in Ohio under Republican rule for a long time now that, uh, you know, if your ballot's postmarked by the day before the election, you know, it has 10 days to arrive and still be counted. But he just totally dismissed that like that. That can't be valid. valid. It's it's rigged, you know? Oh, he called it fraud. He called it rigged. He called yeah. it a scam. I mean, here's the thing. He, he started, he's been going down this road for a while, but it kind of got loud last week when he refused to say he would go for the peaceful transfer of power. And even Mitch McConnell, even Mitch McConnell, the biggest lapdog for Trump that exists, said, that's not the truth, that, that, that we will have a peaceful transfer of power. The election will be valid. Republicans across the country who have not stood against Trump on anything else have stood up to say that the, the election will be valid. So for him to double down in such an emphatic way last night, he's alone on this. There is nobody backing him up. And what he's counting on is all the judges he's appointed to the courts to to help him. But he's basically announced last night he is going to turn the election into chaos if he can. Biden's message, and he was talking directly to the American people, was that's not going to happen. We will count the ballots. We will have a winner. If I lose, I'll leave. If I win, he'll leave. Uh, and he and he pleaded with people to make sure their vote counts. But but what do you think it means? I mean, do you think America is waking up this morning even more terrified of a constitutional crisis? I, I mean, this is this is Chris Warnowski. I woke up very eager to vote and get this over with. So, <laughs> you know, you're right. I think chaos is the point here. It, it's hard to look at what Trump is doing and say, like, he has like a, a plan here. Like the idea is just to muddle with it so he can say that it's broken, you know, that there will be challenges and there will be issues and there will be things that they're pointing to. You know, I mean, you have the 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 nine thrown out ballots issue from that from Luzerne County. Pennsylvania, where, you know, the DOJ was talking about, look at these 10 ballots or whatever that were cast for Donald Trump that were thrown in the garbage. And it's like, well, there's a reasonable explanation for that. But it it won't matter to a certain to his base that, you know, they're going to see corruption where they want to see it. And that's going to create the post-election chaos. 
Maybe I still think that the, we could have a decision. That I might. think one one of one of a few things will happen. It'll be really close. It'll go to the courts, and that will favor Donald Trump. Or we have a landslide, and it will be decisive, and one of the two of them will win, and it will be, you know, they'll try, but you know, they'll say, you know, the Democrats will say, well, Russian interference and this and this, and. And the Republicans will say, oh, it's rigged and whatever, you know, but it'll be a landslide and then we'll have to accept it, hopefully. But the two you know, very different approaches from the two candidates. I yeah. mean, if you're looking for differences, one is basically saying the election is meaningless to me. I don't believe the results well before the first votes, especially in Ohio are cast. And the other is saying it'll be completely valid as it always is. We'll have to see. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Okay, we had a protest in Cleveland last night before the debate. There was a lot of worry that protesters might come and and cause mayhem. The city was locked down in a way I've never seen it. Chris Wernowski was peaceful in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was it was I, I, I mean, I wasn't totally surprised that it was peaceful. You know, I as a city, I think we have, you know, reacted to these things pretty well, I think. You know, if you look back at the RNC, there wasn't a lot of upheaval. And, you know, we, we, we're talking, we talked about sort of comparing this to like May 30th with the George Floyd protests. And it's, this is a very different event. Like you have so much more security. They, they, they locked down that zone around the uh, debate venue. Um, and it was a very big swath of real estate they gobbled up that you couldn't get onto. I mean, you couldn't get anywhere near the venue. It, you know, they're, they, I think they, I think by the end of the night, uh, Cleveland police had told us that they had made only four arrests uh, compared to, to May 30th. There were, I think, like 100 arrests during that, um, you know, and, and they and, and Black Lives Matter and those organizations, you know, they went to eight o'clock and they told everybody to go home. And and so, you know, I think there was some consciousness among the people who were demonstrating that we we're going to work as hard as we can to not make this spectacle and and allow them to sort of take away the meaningfulness of this moment by allowing certain like a handful of people to, you know, to to mess that up. And, well, and let's so, face it. Black Lives Matter isn't violent, despite what the president wants people to believe. Right. Sometimes people come to their protests who want to cause trouble. But mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement is about peaceful protest of police killing black people. And and it was a remarkably peaceful event. You know, speeches, a march around university circle. It was it was exactly what I think Black Lives Matter espouses. Uh, it was good to see. I do think um, that there were parts of the city that were under guard that weren't necessarily under guard during the RNC. I mean, everywhere I saw, there were cops everywhere under every bridge. They had they had uh, surveillance, portable surveillance stations at key points throughout mm-hmm. the city. Um, I mean, I think Frank Jackson was embarrassed by the lack of preparation for May 30th, and he was going to be damned if he was going to not be prepared for th- this. Yeah, I, I still refuse to get used to the idea of, of normalizing seeing like camouflage Humvees just like trolling the streets of a major American city. Like it's. Like for me, it you know, as as somebody who is, you know, old enough to remember po- pre nine eleven America, like seeing armed guards in public and stuff like that, it's still 
weirds me out and it's still not normalized. And I, I don't ever want that to be normalized. I still want to look at that and be like, yeah, this is a little strange because it does like when you lock down a part of the city, it does give it that like dystopian kind of vibe. And, and it, it, it it's, it, it's kind of crappy that we have come to a point where things have to be that locked down, you know, in order for some people to feel secure about these events. But when you look at, when you look at the te- the tone of the demonstrations, it was peaceful and it was peaceful because unlike other cities, you did not have police up in people's faces trying to start problems. Right, we're running out of time here. Laura, go ahead. I just You'll wanted to say we word. had, we had six people out um, from cleveland.com. We were on live all night with Hayden Grove. And I think Robin Goyce got the, the stunner of the protest of the evening when she caught on camera, uh, a member of a police caravan flicking off, some of the protesters who were being incredibly peaceful and in their demonstration. So that was just, you know, just like, what, what did we just see? So hats off to all those uh, guys who were out there for hours last night. And she put up a video that she thought came out too grainy. And so she's republishing it with a much clearer view today. That should be up on our site uh, fairly shortly. Okay, that's it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE, and we are over time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Dane. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, everybody, for listening and putting up with our somewhat disorganized approach this morning (laughs) in our somewhat groggy state. This Week in the CLE will be back tomorrow. 